We invite you, if you want to read along, to Jeremiah, the 18th chapter, where we will read the first ten verses. Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. Probably familiar when we begin reading it, if not already. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. And if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. And there's some more details farther on, but that's going to be sufficient for us this morning. Recently on the messages that we preached concerning Solomon and the Queen, we talked a lot about similitudes and how that it was descriptive, a descriptive type comparison. And here you see a similitude in that many times the Lord, especially Jeremiah in particular, the Lord would have him and Isaiah go somewhere or do something that then he would communicate the word of the Lord to them through the picture or the experience. So again, uh, similitudes, the Lord has always used them and it's very informative and helpful to do that. So this one concerns the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah by visiting the potter's house and observing what went on there. And we want to speak to you from this text today on the subject of marred vessels. That word appears there <clears throat> excuse me in verse 4 and so we're going to take the title marred vessels it is a familiar subject you may have heard sermons preached on it before but to begin with the word marred marred when we mention that word or that word comes up and we think about it or reflect upon it usually always there is some negative or unpleasant thoughts or images that come to mind, is it not? Because that's the very definition of the word. That if something is marred, it has been damaged, it has been ruined, corrupted, spoiled, or maybe in some other sense become impure. And... The marring, of course, can be a temporary thing, maybe a minor thing, or it can be something major and something permanent. If you've ever seen somebody who's been burned, whose flesh has been burned, that's one of the most graphic marrings that you can that I that comes to my mind. 
somebody that's handicapped or missing limb or certain things or what have you, that's kind of a marring, but certainly somebody who has been scarred by fire. I mean, no matter what kind of skin grafts and things they do, you just cannot get rid of that. It's there and it's permanent in that respect. So with that in mind, we realize that regardless of what we're talking about, uh, whether it's people, whether it's objects or what have you, some marring is repairable, some is irreparable. Uh, We live in a day where all kinds of repairs can be made to both people and things, can't they? I often think about that in repairing something, Uh, and certain tools that we have available today and that we can do. uh, And I'll mention to Brenda or what have you, you know, just think about this. I mean, think about what they could have done with a welder 400 years ago. You know, I mean, stuff like that. And we just take it for granted because we're so blessed to have so many tools, so much access to so many things and technology and to learn the skills Uh, You know, what if they had had welders 400 years ago, but if somebody didn't have the skill to know how to use it and to teach others, you know, so we're just so blessed in that regard today. Uh, So again, we should think on those things that we are blessed in the repairs that can be made. I think most of us here that have any age have some bodily repairs. And I thank God for it. I've often thought of that. Well, if I'd lived 100 years before, I wouldn't have got this repaired. I couldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm able to do with this knee or, you know, and there's hip replacements. All, so, so we live in a blessed time. But the bottom line is some, some things are simply not repairable. And uh, that's, if you even go to the next chapter, The Lord does this again with Jeremiah in the first verse of the 19th chapter and says, Get a potter's earthen vessel and take it to the ancients of the people and the ancient of the priests. And he tells them where he can go to the valley outside of Jerusalem there in Hinnom and uh, deliver this message and so forth and so on. And then down in verse 10, he tells him that... He says, Then thou shalt break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shall say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people in this city, as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. Okay? So some things are beyond repair in that regard. And uh, again, we just rejoice in the things that can be repaired, whether they're objects, or bodies with the surgeries and technology that can be done today. We live in a blessed time in spite of the ungodliness and things that happens with advancements and things we are blessed to have many of the things. Well, when we talk about repairing something that has been marred, damaged, destroyed, whatever, again there are good repairs and there are bad repairs, aren't they? And again, depending on what it is, whether again we're talking about humans and surgeons, doctors, or whether we're talking about, uh, you know, repairing something of wood, metal, or whatever, there can be a good repair and there can be bad repairs. Some quote-unquote repairs are worse than the damage sometimes. Some of them could at best be called an attempt at repair, not even a repair. 
Some things can be repaired to the former way they were, equal to. Uh, some, not quite the same, but very functional. And I think that's probably the way most of our bodily repairs go. They're not the same as they were, but, you know, they work, and we're thankful for that. But very rarely is anything repaired where it's better than the original, isn't it? I mean, that, that's just, that just hardly happens. Uh, we do say that, and that's an expression many times that some people use in some crafts, and I've heard welders say that. Well, it's stronger now than it was before it broke, you know, and so forth. But that usually because you've added something to reinforce or something, not, you know, in that respect. However, but the thought is there are marred things that can be repaired, and there are things that cannot be repaired in that regard. And then, again, they can be repaired perhaps, but there has to be somebody with the skill to do it. And again, that's at a loss also. We've probably all been there, haven't we? We've had something marred, damaged, broken, and we knew it could be fixed, but we just didn't have the ability at that time to do it, you know? And so you have to find somebody that does, or you just forget it and throw it away. So all of this centering around this idea of marred. And so again, while we're thankful for the things that can be repaired, we want to speak to you today about something that only God can repair, and that's the human soul. We all as sinners have been marred and are marred by sin. And the only person that can fix that is God Almighty. And really that's the greatest damage we any of us have ever suffered and ever will suffer is what happens to the human soul. And we all have one. And sin has affected everybody's soul. And nobody can fix it except the great physician. Only one. Only one. People like the woman who had the issue of blood spend lifetimes and fortunes trying to find solace for the soul, things that appease, and all kinds of things. But only the great physician can repair or fix the marred soul of sinners. And that's what we want to talk about today. In the passage of Scripture that we have read, one thing should stand out anytime anyone reads this. This thing about what Jeremiah viewed down at the potter's house. And if you just carefully observe what he saw in those first four verses, that scene, the man, everything involved, one thing just dominates your thinking, and that is the sovereignty of the potter. The potter is the one completely and totally in control of everything that Jeremiah saw. Okay? Now, someone may say, well, the, the vessel that he made became marred, so he wasn't in control. Oh, yeah, he was in control. Oh, yeah, he was. We'll talk about that a little later on. But just as the potter stands out sovereignly over the clay and the mechanism and the shaping and all of that, it immediately reminds us of our God throughout the Scripture reveals himself to be just as sovereign and more so 
than the potter over the clay. The Bible makes that very clear. In fact, let's just drop back to Isaiah for a moment. Uh, A very brief statement, but an all-encompassing statement. In Isaiah chapter 64, in verse 8, and really, this verse needs to be shouted from the housetops in our generation. Isaiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art our potter, we are all the work of Thy hand. You know, if people were taught that, if little children were instructed that at home, in Sunday school, and in kindergarten, you know what things would be like? We can only imagine. But they'd be a lot better because it used to be that way. It was predominantly taught in this country and little children understood. You know, God made you. God made you. I'll tell you, it's so grievous today, isn't it, to see our young people and this gender, quote-unquote, crisis. And there's a solution for that. And it's what I'm talking about. A child is a child. They're without understanding. They have to be taught. They're a piece of clay. And it's a parent's duty to mold them. And it is something that parents will all give an account for. We all will give an account for our children. In this life or the life to come. Depending on who you are, where you are, and whether you're forgiven or not. But this would just solve so much. Children need to be told that they have a maker. They have a creator who makes and gives life to all people and all things. And as He gives that life, He takes that life. And if they knew that, and I thank God I was taught that, and that He never makes any mistakes, boy, we could clear up a lot of things in a hurry. I mean, even you don't have to be saved. And it would make a difference. Just to have that foundation there. But so many of the children of our generation have no foundation. What I have just read is as foreign to them as rocket science. They have no idea. And I'm on a, I'm on a soapbox here, so I'll stay on it just a minute or two longer. But what do we expect? I've said it before. You've heard me say it from this pulpit. If that little child you know, gets kindergarten or teachable age, whatever that age may be, depending on the child, and you tell them they're no different and their life is no different than a bug or a dog or a firefly, and that we all came from the same piece of slime somewhere, what do we expect? We're cultivating problems. And now we're reaping the whirlwind of those problems. The evolutionary teaching in schools and homes is being reaped in this generation. What they need to know is what I have just read to you. There is a God. He makes people. He gives them life. He creates them as a potter does a piece of clay the way he wants. You are what you are. Sex, personality, identity, fingerprint, DNA, and everything else. 
And I'll add some more since I'm staying on this soapbox longer than I tended to. In Acts 17, Paul on Mars Hill, that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the earth and hath before determined the bounds and the times of their habitation. It's all, it's all there. My, it used to make a difference. It would make a difference now. But again, it puts us in our place, doesn't it? Lord, you're our Father. We're all His offspring in that sense, in the creative sense. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's everything, we're nothing. <laughs> we are what we are by the grace of God and by His creative and sovereign power. So, the sovereignty of the, power, uh, sovereignty of the potter, again, we apply it to God, and it is universal in scope and in time as is developed in the latter part of this reading that we have read that we're not going to go in a lot of detail on, but it deals with nations and kingdoms. And nations and kingdoms are big things. We studied those in history, you remember? I mean, it's in the Bible. The Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire and others that have existed in other parts of the world in America. And God is using the similitude here that they're nothing more than a little plant. Just like a little weed that can spring up in your garden or in your yard and it's no effort for you at all to walk out there and pinch it between thumb and forefinger and just pluck it up and throw it away. God does, can, and will do that with nations. In fact, Isaiah said this, and you don't comprehend it, and I don't either, but it puts it in perspective. All the nations are as a drop in a bucket. A drop in a bucket. That's not much, is it? When you compare a drop to the ocean, all the nations, just a drop in a bucket. He can plant one, he can pluck one up, and he's been in doing that, and he will continue to do that. So that's the sovereign power of a God. And that's in the big scope of things. And then turn with me to Romans chapter 9 and keep your finger there, and we see the specifics of things. Alright? Where we reduce the scope to the individual and to the details of persons. Romans chapter 9, reading at verse 20, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Now that's an absolute absurdity, isn't it? I've built quite a few things in my life. Metal, wood, different things. And you know, I've never had any of it talk back to me. Have you? I mean, things that are without life don't talk back. People talk back. And an animal may even respond back. But inanimate objects, lifeless objects, don't talk back. Can you imagine? Clay. And we can imagine it now because you can see it on cartoons and technology and television and all the things they can do. Can you imagine the lifeless clay just turning up and, and speaking back to the potter and saying, why would you make me like this? That is absurd, isn't it? 
Well, going back to what we were talking about again, I cannot pass this over without making this comment. What's worse than that is, again, human beings today saying that I, saying I was made wrong. It's happening. Here's the question, and we're living in a generation where the creature is saying they were made wrong, but they're not even saying there's a creator who made them. That's more absurd than anything we've ever heard. And that, that's like what God said to the prophet. Oh, well, in fact, it's in Jeremiah. We don't have time to go there. But he said, people will be amazed at this. He said, will people believe this? I mean, this is so absurd that their ears will tingle. You know, that what? That God's people have done what? Let's read on. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? We're living in that, in that time today in denial that there is a God. That's, that's, again, beyond comprehension. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And obviously the answer is yes. Because the potter's absolutely in control. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering? the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which, mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. So we take the scripture in Isaiah that says we're all the product of God. He's the potter. We're all the clay. God has made us the way we look, the time we look, the personalities we have, etc., etc. And God has also made us into two categories of people. Either vessels of mercy, vessels of honor, or vessels of dishonor, vessels of wrath. Now, right there is where people many times object. Say, oh, no, 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 no. Romans 9 says, yes, yes, yes. That's it. He has made all things for himself. He is sovereign over everything, including human beings absolute sovereign the potter there that Jeremiah saw was sovereign over the wheels in other words if you've ever seen this and it's kind of an amazing thing that here we are thousands of years later and this same procedure is being done by potters today you know there's a wheel underneath you pedal like a bicycle that turns a wheel on top that goes the other way kind of like the gears in the rear end of a car you know they, they work together in that way that this and turning this way turns the other and the other way and the potter sets the clay on there and molds it, you know. Well, you know what? Those wheels won't turn by themselves. They're motionless, aren't they? They don't have power. It's the potter that puts forth the energy to make the wheels turn. And the clay that's laying on top of that thing is lifeless. It's a lifeless lump of moist dirt of some kind. In fact, it's the same thing you and I are made out of and that the first man was made out of. The dust of the earth. It's helpless. It can't shape itself in any way, shape, or form. It just lays there. It's affected by whatever may touch it, but it can't affect nothing. So the potter's in control. And I want to say this also. Here's something probably gets overlooked. 
It's the potter who decided, who had the will, the desire, the initiative to turn the wheels and to shape something out of the clay. And that goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. God created of His own volition. And He created it like He wanted it. And there were no mistakes. And sin did not throw a monkey wrench in God's plan. Sin wouldn't be here if God hadn't willed it. But again, just think of that. The potter must take the initiative, right? Well, I'm going to make some pottery today. So he gives energy to the wheels to turn it. He moistens that lifeless lump of clay and with his hand begins to do it and there's no outside force in it. You can't attribute anything to the wheels and you can't attribute anything to what's in the clay. Because without the potter, nothing. Nothing happens and nothing is produced. And this is such a beautiful analogy of God's sovereignty. God is the master potter. He made it all. When I think of these wheels, I think about Ezekiel and the wheels and all that he saw. And I think about the wheels of divine providence. Ever since God created, the wheels of divine providence have been turning and they're going to keep on turning and they'll turn into all eternity because that's God's providence. Executing what He's determined to do. Bringing it to pass. Fulfilling all His desires. Whatever He determines to do, He does. He's been doing it, as stated, with kingdoms and nations. And literally, He's been doing it with everything. It's the wheels of God's providence that keeps everything in order, everything in place, from going into chaos right down to the most minute detail. Oh, we like to think of the sovereignty of God, don't we? And I'm not talking about a partial sovereignty. I'm talking about everything. Absolute sovereignty over everything. Over life, over death, over events, over happenings. Nothing outside of God's will or God's providence. The scripture says, He upholdeth all things by the word of His power. It's God's power, God's energy that keeps everything moving forward. Keeps everything happening. Right down to the cells in your body that are dying and being reproduced. Right down to human beings that are dying and being born. Plants, animals, the universe, astrology, whatever you want. God's wheels of providence are keeping it all going in perfect harmonious order that is our God and you see this by looking at this potter the wheels and the clay he gives everything life that has life he works it as it pleases him now it says here the vessel that he was wrought on the wheels and when we say again made or wrought a work on the wheels that was his own initiative we didn't make ourselves again God made everything for his own glory he wrought us he wrought everything in that respect in using that grammar 
It says it was marred. Marred. And that word again, we know what it means to corrupt, to ruin. It literally, the primary usage or definition of the word there that's used in the Old Testament means to destroy. It was destroyed. It was affected some way. Not annihilated in that sense, but, you know, destroyed like you destroy something and there's all the rubble and it's irreparable. So destroy, corrupt, ruin, decay. Well, sin did that very thing, did it not? What does it say about Lucifer when he sinned? About he was pure and the sun of the morning until what was found in him, you know? Sin was found in him. Fault was found in him. Flaw was in him. And that was in heaven, right? And this is no different than, you know, you take a lump of clay, and we've probably all played with Play-Doh or something. I played in the mud when I was a kid. And you could play in the mud. But, you know, that, that clay, if it has one little teeny tiny rock in it, man, it can ruin everything. I mean, I've never made pottery, but I mean, anybody with common sense can watch it and see that in all that soft stuff and you're shaping it, if there's one little hard element in there, I mean, it's just like if you've ever run a piece of equipment or anything and tried to smooth it out and you get one rock under the blade, it makes a streak all the way out through the lot, don't it, you know? I mean, one little rock in there, woof, ruin the whole thing. Well, that's exactly what sin did. That's why sin is referred to like leaven. Once it don't take much, and once it's in there, it's there, and it ruins everything. So, the creation was marred in Genesis chapter three. Every bit of it, the creation, the plant world, the animal world, the planet, and man, man's body, and man's soul, marred. By what? One thing. Sin. Sin. Things didn't get out of control. God was still in control. Man's body would die, but man's soul immediately died. And throughout human history until the present time, we see the effect of the marring of sin. We see it in our lives. We see it in other people's lives. We see it out there. We see it in the pages of history books. We see it in the Bible. And we're even told about the sin of the futures that's yet to come. Marred. But again, God didn't lose control. Here's the part I love. It says in verse 4, The vessel that He made of clay was marred. But notice the next prepositional phrase, In the hand of the potter. The clay didn't jump off the wheel. The, play, the clay didn't get out of the hand of the potter. It was marred, but it was marred in the hand of the potter. God's always had His hand on everything. And He still does. Reminds me of the little song we used to sing kids. He's got the whole world in His hands. He does. There's nothing, there's nothing God don't have in His hands. And when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, and, you know, the creation went into sin and was affected by sin. It was still all in God's hand. And it was not a surprise. A potter might get surprised by what's in the clay, but God's never been surprised by anything. Surprise is a word that's foreign to God. 
God can't be surprised. It's all in his hand. Everything. I mean, when things happen in the world that are catastrophic or crisis or accidents or, again, a kingdom plucking up, a kingdom falling, a revolution, a coup or whatever, great catastrophic events that affect people, that's just God plucking something up and planting something else. That's all it is. And human beings get all bent out of shape about it, but... uh, Again, God has been shaping and molding everything through the course of time, and He always will. Right down, I say to you again, to the most minute details in everyone's life. It's all in His hand. Folks, that's the only comfort I have. I believe I'd go crazy if I didn't believe that. I'd be as crazy as the people that don't believe that, wouldn't you? Look at the misery people live in who don't believe that. And Sid say, well, if God was in control and if there was God, He wouldn't this and who wouldn't that. Read the Bible if you don't find out about God and then you'll stop talking that foolishness about what God would do and wouldn't do. Because right here in this wonderful book we have the Word of God. God has told us what He will do and what He won't do. What He can do and what He can't do. And can't be limited pretty much to sin and lying and anything along that line. Everything else he's capable of doing. And then you'll, you know, then we'd quit talking that foolishness about, well, if there was God, he would do this and he would do that. This, this book is given to us so that we can understand God as much as is humanly possible. And I say it again, he's always had everything in his hand and he always will. And thank God he had everything in his hands when Adam and Eve sinned. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, we don't read here in our story that it marred in his hand, so he just took that piece of clay and threw it against the wall and picked up another lump and started all over again. He could have. He had that ability. He had that power. He had that discretion if he had so deemed to do so. But he didn't. In God's infinite wisdom, It's better to remake what was ruined than to make it brand new all over again. And this is redemption that we're talking about. That was always God's plan. Sin had to be a part of it. If God was going to remake it in a way that would be better than it was before, then sin had to be the thing, the element there to inject the flaw, the corruption, the spoiling. Don't you know Satan was happy when he spoiled things in the Garden of Eden? I wonder how he felt when God said to the serpent, the seed of the woman's going to bruise your head and you're only going to be able to bruise his heel. We'll never know in this life what all Satan knows and understands But I imagine that lent the wind out of his sails. And that's why at Calvary he did everything to try to prevent it, but the Lord finished the work and put Satan underfoot at Calvary. As they often say, he's a broken back serpent now since Calvary. Still very dangerous. But Christ broke his back at Calvary. So he made it again. And again I say to you, 
This was the potter's choice to make the marred vessel again. Still in his hand. Never got out of his hand. Never went anywhere. It was. It became something else. And then he, by his skill, his choice, made it again. And so again, in Genesis 3, we see after Adam and Eve sinned, the plan of redemption coming into view. What we did not see was annihilation, did we? We've seen an almost annihilation in the flood. But again, God did the same thing, didn't He? It was so bad, so corrupt in Genesis 6. Yet God didn't destroy the whole earth and the whole universe and just recreate from scratch out of nothing. But God again did what? He had it all in His hand and He just remade it as it pleased Him. With eight souls and two of every kind on the ark. He made it again. So again, this is what we see throughout the Bible is God redeeming not annihilating and starting from scratch again. And he did the same thing with, with Moses and with Israel and the Exodus and all of that. Remember all that? I mean, he didn't just totally obliterate them. He threatened, but he made a covenant, of course, was not going to do that. And we preached to you here just recently that one day he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. It's all still in his hand. He's just able to demonstrate his sovereignty and his power and everything about him by remaking. And of course, that's exactly what he does with sinners, isn't it? And that's the wonderful part. If you're saved by God's grace today, you don't fight against the fact that you're a marred vessel. You know exactly how marred you are because God by his grace has showed you in this book by the Holy Spirit. God uses the same marred lump. He doesn't throw that one away and start all over again. He did that with Israel. He does it with sinners. In Ezekiel, he said what? I'll take the stony heart out and put a fleshly heart in. He didn't say, I'm just going to get rid of you and make something better. You know? No, God is in the remaking business because that shows us the best what He can do. You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's the marring of sin, is to be dead without God, without hope in the world. And yet God remakes. And when God remakes a sinner, that's what we call regenerate or the new birth. You hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Like that helpless, hopeless, dead lump of clay. He has the skill, He has the power, He has the ability to make it again another vessel as it seemed good to Him. If you're saved today, you're not the same vessel you once were. You're not the same person you once were. You have the same body, but you're not the same person. You no longer have a stony heart. you got a fleshly heart. You're no longer a servant of sin. You're a servant of the Most High God. Things are different. You've been born again. You've been made again. 
You've literally, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I quote it, but let's go there and read it. I want you to read it off the pages of Scripture with me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's synonymous with a new vessel. Not the old marred vessel, but a new vessel. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise God. God and God alone, the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one that can do that. And when He does that, He identifies you as a vessel of mercy, as we read in Romans chapter 9. It is an act of God's mercy to do that. Is it an act of God's grace to do that? To be born again. For God to bestow His mercy upon marred vessels such as ourselves. Where we become an object of honor. And it's all because of what He done. I mean again, the, the text says He made it again. Just like Jesus said, you've got to be born again. He made it again. Another vessel. There's the old you and there's the new you. There's the old vessel and the new vessel. And that is, as seem good to the potter to make it. Now again, a potter can make the vessel however he wants it. He can make it tall and slender. He can make it short and fat. He can use a big lump of clay. He can use a little lump of clay. He can make it one color, another color. He can put contours. He can do, I mean, he's not limited and neither is God. And God demonstrates that in redemption by saving all kinds of people, all kinds of places, all kinds of generations, from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of sins, educated, uneducated, whatever. Read the Bible, Old Testament, New Have, Rahab the harlot, Lydia, seller of purple, whoever it may have been. Philippian, I mean, God is not limited, but He calls them all by the same gospel and the quickening power of the same Holy Spirit. It's amazing. He calls out His vessels of glory. And here I must say this before we close. If God has saved you by His grace, and you know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, that God has made you again by grace, then you know also He's still making you. You know, it's been said, and it's cute, but it's very true. We're all as God's children, a work in progress. We're not going to get any more saved than we are saved. We're absolutely saved. The only thing that's left undone there is this body. We'll have a glorified body, the redemption of the body. But the redemption of the soul is complete. We're just living in an earthen vessel. It's the only problem there. One day this body's going to be redeemed. That'll be the final thing in glorification. But God doesn't work on our bodies People do that. <laughs> People are obsessed with their bodies. God's eyes on the soul. And that's where ours need to be. You are, as a child of God, and have been since the day God saved you, and I trust what I'm saying to you is not new news because I've said it before. When God saved you, that's where He really started the work. I mean, here, when the, when the potter made it again, that's when the real finished product started 
You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. The question I want to put to you is, are you resistant clay or are you yielding clay? The Bible says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. That means don't harden up like clay against the work of the potter. Yield to it. Oh, it's so much better. It hurts if you resist. How many of you know that to be true? I do. Oh, it's so much more blessed to yield. Yield. He knows what he's doing. And he knows how to do it. And yes, sometimes it does hurt. But you know what? It's like, it's like having something fixed that's broken your body, you know. It's going to hurt for a while, but in the end it's going to be alright. God breaks sometimes so he can repair. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Philippians 1 and 6, He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 2.13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Rejoice, Christian, and yield to that work. Oh, we all need more work. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I used to be. But I am a work in progress. And God's the only one that can work it to His glory. Let's close. Bottom line as we've established, every human being is a marred vessel, marred by sin, and we don't know it. We look and think we're pretty good old Joes, pretty good old girls, looking at our own selves, but the Bible shows us who we really are, that we are marred in the face of our Creator. God is angry with the wicked every day. God hateth all workers of iniquity. God will one day punish all with His wrath. So we just ask a simple question as we close today to any that hear us. What kind of vessel are you in light of God's Word? I'm not asking your opinion of yourself. That's worthless. But what does God's Word reveal you to be? A vessel of honor? Only if you've been bestowed by grace and mercy to the salvation only if God has made you anew else you are still marred and a vessel of dishonor say well how can I know whether I'm one or the other it's a very simple thing have you obeyed the gospel the gospel says repent of your sin acknowledge them repent of them Christ came for sinners he's the great physician he didn't come to call righteous people. He's there for the marred. And believe you me, you're marred. We're all marred. The Bible says we are. But He can fix that. And those of us who have been fixed, saved by grace, are living testimonies to that. That He fixed our souls at one point, and He's working on us, been working on us ever since. So if you've been obedient to the gospel, then you can know you're a vessel of honor, a vessel of mercy. You can't be a, a vessel of honor and be blind to God's mercy. No, you know first of all you were marred and you needed mercy. And you will not receive mercy without knowing it. Because mercy means the forgiveness of sins. And what a blessing it is to know that. So the Pottery House lesson is quite a lesson. It was for Jeremiah. 
And it is for every human being. And we rejoice that our God, through Lord Jesus Christ, is able to take that which is worthless, lifeless, hopeless, and atrocious to Him because of sin and make it anew a vessel of honor. Are we going to sing that song? All right, come ahead and let's sing.